Have you ever looked at someone and thought to yourself, wow, she really looks like she has her shit together. She's beautiful. She's bubbly. She's always so friendly and giving. She must have had a charmed, perfect life that led her to this point. Yes, my friend, you made a judgment call before you learned her story. Then you sat down with her and you learned that she has faced battles that you could never begin to imagine, that her strength comes from within because she's faced so much uncertainty in her life, yet she still holds out hope, yet she still has a faithful heart because she knows that God had to bring her through the struggles. He had to bring her through the struggles so that she could break. She had to break so that I could shine. Hi, I'm your host, AJ, and welcome to She Had to Break. This podcast is a labor of love. It is my own personal story of how I had to go through the struggles in order to break so that I could one day shine. In order to fully understand my story, we need to jump into my Prius and go all the way back to 2005, specifically at the University of Wisconsin, Superior. I was that girl in college. Everybody knew at least one of these types in their college career. I was the girl who had her life perfectly planned out on vision boards all over her dorm room. I had plotted a course that would get me to my destination. My major was in legal studies, and I wanted nothing more than to be a lawyer. Not just any lawyer, but a badass lawyer that either worked for the International Criminal Court or the Hague. So I did everything in my power to make sure I reached my destination. Every single milestone on my vision board, I had achieved, and my course was plotted, and I was ready I got accepted to law school in Louisiana, and I was super excited to be going there. It is until we all know that God, he loves to mess with perfectly laid plans. He loves to throw in disruptions in roadblocks. Maybe it's a form of temptation to get us away from the course that we're meant to be on. But all it took was one visit to a Yahoo chat room because I was bored out of my mind on a Saturday night and it was snowing and it was cold. And I chatted up a gentleman who went by the name of Von Geiser. A couple weeks went by and we moved on to phone conversations. And then he drove up for our very first date. His name was actually Scott. And the first moment I met him, I knew that this was the man that I was going to marry. A few weeks after I met him, he came clean and told me that he was a package deal, that he had a kiddo from a previous relationship, which I did not mind at all. It wasn't a turnoff. It wasn't like, oh my God, I can't date you. You have a child. I stepped up to the plate. I took on a motherly role for that kiddo. I met him when he was 18 months old. That kiddo was so smart and adorable. And when I heard about his birth mom, I just felt this urge in me 
to be motherly to this child. When I looked into his eyes, I didn't see someone else's kid. I saw my own flesh and blood. I saw a child that I would lay my life down to protect until the last breath that I took. He was mine and I was his. And I had said to Scott that this is my dream. I'm going to go to law school in Louisiana. And I got accepted. I'm super excited. I graduate soon. And he said to me, you know, long distance relationships are really hard. And I don't know if I can do the long distance thing. We might have to break up. And then maybe if you come back during the summer, we could see each other. Or when you get done with law school, you know, or whatever. So I pivoted and I said, you know what? That's fine. I'll find a a law school closer. So I gave up my dream school. I did get accepted to a school in Wisconsin that was only four hours away from his house. And he said, you know, I just don't know. That's kind of far away. I I don't know if that long distance thing is going to work. So then I applied to a school in Minnesota and I got accepted. And I thought, that can't be a problem. I can come home every day. I can still work part-time. And he said to me, you know, law school is a big financial burden. And are you really going to make that good of money when you get done? That's a really large time commitment. That's going to take away from our relationship. Are you going to be able to do both? You know, when one dream ends, you can make another one, right? You can make a new dream. If you want to be with me and the kiddo and have this life, you gotta got to make some sacrifices. Come up with a new dream. I didn't go to my law school's orientation day. A friend of mine, he called me and he was like, hey, AJ, where, where are you? It's law school orientation day. And I said, I'm in the sandbox with the kiddo playing construction toys. He was like, what? I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not coming to law school. I declined my seat. I have a new dream and I'm just going to see where it goes. So I ended up taking a job at Jenny Craig that summer. I worked as a program director selling weight loss programs. It was not fulfilling at all, but that is where I met my dear friend Jillian at Jenny Craig. I knew I wanted something more. And every time I would bring up, hey, law school, law school, he would tell me, well, you know what? You made a new dream. So you got to figure it out. Got to figure out what your new dream is going to be. That November, November of 2006, we had come back from a cruise to Mexico And in the garage, in one of these little Halloween decorations I have, he hid a ring box. I created new dreams, I created new visions, and I was obsessed with the Calicut butterfly ring. That was my dream engagement ring. That is the ring that I wanted. That was the ring that I had to have. And he got it for me. And he got down on one knee, and he asked me to be his wife. And I said, yes. I said, yes, I will marry you because that's the new dream I made for myself. That's the new vision board to be a wife and a mother. Jenny Craig was no longer filling up my cup. So I found a new job. I actually went into the pharmacy benefit management industry for a while. I became that annoying girl you saw at work who was actively planning her wedding when she had time talking about our wedding, just being enthusiastic about the wedding. But little do people know that my relationship was anything but perfect. It was a nightmare at times. It made me question my own sanity, my own humility. It made me question who I was. But every day I went out into the world and I put on this happy face 
this ideal of perfection. I wore it like a coat. I wanted people to be like, oh, look at her. They live in that big house over there in Woodbury. They have the cutest dogs. Oh, their kid is so cute. Look at the cars they drive. They get to go on vacation. Wow. I want to be like that couple. That is the lie we sold to the world. He had issues. Sex addiction was one of them. The seeds of emotional and mental abuse, they were planted and they started out small. And they were red flags everywhere, but I ignored them. I ignored them because I didn't want to be that girl with a failed engagement. I didn't want to have that mark on my life. That wasn't in my new vision board. So I went through with it. I planned the dream wedding. My dress was paid for. The venue was paid for. I had an orange wedding cake, for Lord's sakes, and peonies in my wedding bouquet. Our friends and family came from all over. My wedding day was absolutely beautiful. But it was a fucking lie. What people didn't realize is, behind that smile, I was fighting off a fever and a virus. I was sick because... Scott, at the time, decided he needed to go out and put his pickle in other people's jars. And if I didn't accept that, I didn't accept him. And if I didn't accept him, I didn't really love him. And then this marriage, this relationship that we had been building was worth nothing in his eyes. I wanted to please him. I wanted to make him happy. So I said, okay, I guess. I turned a blind eye to it and I went on my way. Until he brought home some gifts from a one-night stand. And on my wedding day, I was super sick. I was on antivirals, antibiotics. I had a fever. And I didn't want to tell anybody because I was embarrassed. Because nobody wants to be like, yeah, my my soon-to-be husband cheated on me a couple weeks before the wedding. And gave me an STD. And it really, really sucks. I didn't want people to know. So I didn't say anything. My dad knew something was up. He was like, are you sure you want to go through with this? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go through with it. We already signed the papers. We already paid for this wedding. You paid a shit ton of money for this dress. We're going to do it. I'm getting married today. It's going to happen. In my heart, I thought as soon as I put that tungsten ring on his finger, that he was going to change, that he was going to become a better man, and that he was going to realize that he didn't need anybody else. All he needed was what was right in front of him, the promises, the vows that he made to me. His promises and those vows that he made were just words. They didn't hold any weight in his eyes. As we got married, after we got married, we moved into our new house. A new big house. I love to host parties in it. And people always thought, oh, you're so happy. You're hosting parties. You guys are so fun to be around. Little do they know that there was days where I was afraid to come home from work. Because I didn't know what was going to be in my living room that day. He forced me into situations that no woman, this is a trigger warning. So if you are triggered, stop and wait for the next episode. He forced me into situations that no woman should ever have to experience in her life. And every time I got forced into those situations, I got forced into doing stuff that I did not want to do because I believed in my marriage vows I believed in loving one person until the last breath I took. 
he would emotionally and mentally abuse me. He would tell me that I wasn't good enough. I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't thin enough, smart enough. Because if I was, then he wouldn't have to go out and find other couples, other women. He wouldn't have to force me into these situations that no woman should ever be forced into. Yes, rape in marriage does exist. It exists and it's so sad that it is not seen as a crime. It should be considered a crime, but it's very rarely prosecuted in this country. And that is just sickening and disheartening. Because there are women who are in this country who are trapped in marriages that are nightmares. And they, like me, didn't see a way out. They didn't have the strength to find themselves, to make a life for themselves. So a lot of them leave in body bags instead of out the front door. During that time, I made a decision for myself. I said, you know what? I'm going to go get my paralegal certificate. I'm going to go do that. I don't, I'm going to take off the loans. I'm going to pay for it. And he was like, are you sure you can do that? Are you sure you're smart enough to become a paralegal? That's going to be a financial burden. We're going to have to pay off. That's going to impact our family. Blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. This is what I'm going to do. So I went and got my paralegal certificate. And I left the pharmacy benefit industry. And I worked for a law firm for quite a few years. And that was the groove. That was the thing that I liked. If I couldn't be an attorney, because at this point, he had me so beaten down, I no longer believed that I could make it as an attorney, that I could be a good attorney. So I gave up that dream, and I became an attorney's best sidekick, a paralegal. And I was an incredible paralegal. Very successful in my career. And just like I did previously, I'd get my car, I'd put on this fake face, Everybody was like, oh, you have such a loving husband. Oh, I'm so glad he supports you working late at night, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, no, you people don't understand. I love working late because if I work late, that means I don't have to be home. And if I'm not at home, I don't have to worry about being thrown into a threesome or to swing or whatever it may be. I don't have to be worried about being forced into a sexual situation I don't want to be in. So working late was an incredible tool for me. I would work late until 9, 10 o'clock at night if I had to. If I could, they let me. And the thing is, though, as a mom, as a mother figure to a child, you put on a happy face every single day. You make sure that that child has no idea that something is amiss in your home. They know that they're loved. They're cared for. That's all they need to know and that they're happy. So when the kiddo came up from his mom's, I always made sure everything was perfect, was magical. The abuse, mental, emotional abuse still went on, but it was closed doors. Or sometimes he would make comments in front of me and his kiddo would laugh and see them too. Like he was grooming this child to be just like him one day. And that was really sad to me. And things came to a breaking point in... October 2009, I said to myself, you know what? You can't keep living like this. You are a shell of the person that you once were. I would look in the mirror and I'd see someone that was 400 pounds, that was ugly, that wasn't myself. I had lost confidence in my intelligence. 
confidence in my everyday life and my friendships. It was just really, I was so incredibly broken. And I thought, you know what? One day I got this tiny little shred of strength and I was like, you know what? I'm going to talk to an attorney. I'm going to see if I can file for divorce because I got to get out of this. That appointment with the attorney never came. Instead, I found myself in the emergency room fighting for my life. On October 22nd, 2009, I had a massive pulmonary embolism and a stroke. I was in the emergency room by myself as the front desk staff and a nurse frantically tried to call Scott to let him know where I was. I knew in my heart of hearts he wasn't going to answer that phone because he was in someone else's bed and he could give two shits about me in that moment. Even I wasn't allowed to call or text when he was with someone else because if I did, that means you don't love me. That means you don't trust me. You don't understand me. So I knew he wasn't going to come until that girl had to go to work or he had to go to work or whatever. So I sat there by myself. And I had this sinking feeling was like, yep, this is where my life is going to end. I'm going to die here alone in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. And the nurses just, well, maybe he's got his phone off. They just tried to make excuses for him. And I said, you know what? You can just stop calling him. He's not going to answer He eventually did come, and he didn't really care about me and the situation that I was in. He cared more about the bills. Well, how long did she have to be here? How much is this going to cost? How much is that going to cost? Oh, my goodness. You're going to set us back financially. And I remember laying in the hospital, kind of out of it, looking over. He's sitting in the recliner. He had his laptop open. He was on Craigslist, cruising for chicks and couples. Why his wife was laying next to him in a hospital bed fighting for her life he cared more about fucking someone else and his own wife's health and I thought to myself you know what maybe things will change maybe they'll change maybe he'll change maybe he'll stop doing this maybe he'll realize what's important in life maybe he'll realize that almost losing the love of his life to the birth control that she used, to the Nuvering, will change him. It didn't. I wasn't able to perform for a while because my body was injured. I was tired. I was angry. And he sought the comfort in other people. And he would tell me, if you don't let me do this, if you don't understand me, If you don't let me have sex with other people, that means you don't really love me because you put us in this situation. You are the one that used the birth control. You are the one that had the injury. And that's not on me. Yeah. He was a real winner. So I let him do it. In exchange, I got to buy whatever I wanted, do whatever I wanted. I was a kept woman. I was the trophy up front while he was in the back with more desirable girls. At the end of the day, that's what it was. He was a piece of work. And next week, we'll get into part two. Because there's even more to this story. To the story that you have to hear to fully understand my first set of struggles. My first set of breaking that I had to go through. That God put me through. So that I could come out on the other side and shine Are you a little mad 
that I cut this story short. Do you want to find out more about me, my struggles, and my life? Don't worry, my friend. You can head on over to HaveBearWillTravel.com. HaveBearWillTravel.com has been my blog since 2004, and it's where I've chronicled my ups and downs of this beautiful disaster that I call my life. We'll see you next week.